Well, we're in Romans chapter 13 then, and uh, a banner headline to this whole section, chapters 12 through to 16, will be chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that urge us to remember and reflect on chapters 1 to 11. So chapters 1 to 11 are the essence and the heart of the gospel. How, how do I get rid of my sin? How can I be sure of heaven? How can I come to, into a relationship with God? It, it's um, almost incredible to say that, into a relationship with, with God. It's good to know famous people. I don't know which famous people you might know with uh, Wimbledon on at the moment. And you see folks in the Royal Box and uh, oh, there's David Beckham again. And oh, he's with Ed Sheeran today and they're, they're mates. They know each other. Might be nice to know such people and get an invite to the Royal Box as, as well. But, uh, you know, above and beyond all that, Christianity is knowing God. It's having him as our Heavenly Father, closest friend. Uh, how is it possible? Well, chapters 1 to 11 are the heart of the Gospel. It's not by going to church, saying prayers, singing hymns, not by being baptised, not by being a nice person, because we could never be nice enough. Romans tells us the bad news, first of all, we're all sinners. And uh, when we might point at other people, how could they do that? Well, really, it is there, but for the grace of God go I. It's only something called common grace that restrains the depths to which we would fall outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in general throughout the whole world. We're sinners before a holy God. We've all gone astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We go our own way, and that's the essence of sin. I'm number one. I, me, and mine. And it leads to destruction. It leads to uh, a messy life here and now. Spoils relationships, spoils the environment, spoils everything. There are little highlights, of course. There are. We look forward to holidays, but they don't quite hit the mark. And uh, whatever we have never seems to hit the spot or satisfy because we were made to know God. And so with the bad news of sin, what's the good news? God is the answer to our sin. He sent his son, Jesus. Now, mankind has sinned and man must pay the penalty. So God the Son, the same essence with the Father and the Spirit, but distinct in his person, sent by the Father, willingly he comes, overseen by the work of the Holy Spirit, and he becomes a man, truly a man, like uh, any other human uh, being. But he hasn't stopped being God. And in that one person, two natures, fully God, fully man. What does he do? He comes to take away our sin. He lives the life we can't live. He lives a perfect life. Then he dies as if he were the sinner. He's our substitute. He represents as he stands in our place. And when he lived on planet Earth, he's living for you, if you will receive what he's done. And when he dies on Calvary, he's taking your hell. And to show it's all true and acceptable, he rose again from the dead. And Romans is very clear. The Bible's very clear. How can it be true of you and me, how can we benefit from that? Well, it's not by going to church, singing hymns, saying prayers, being baptised. It's uh, repenting of what I am and trusting in Jesus Christ. And wonderfully, an exchange takes place. Christ takes my sin, I receive his clean life. And I'm still a sinner. Right? I still get things wrong this side of heaven because I'm still in this body here and the temptation, the world, the flesh, the devil... I want to be better, I want to make advance, but there are besetting sins that drag me down personally, constantly, and you'll know the battle. 
But when God the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ and I'm acceptable. And when I die, I'm going to heaven, not because I've made the mark, but because Jesus made the mark. Do you get it? Do you get it? It's really simple. So very simple. But it takes the work of the Spirit to make it clear to you. But once you've seen it, who wouldn't trust in Jesus Christ? New life for old. Heaven for hell. Sins forgiven. Peace with God. Peace of heart. Peace of mind. Who wouldn't trust him? You're not trusted him yet. You just haven't seen it. It's as simple as that. So pray tonight God might open your eyes. And that's chapters 1 to 11. And as we look at chapters 1 to 11, we can truly stand back and say, wow, wow, what a gospel, what a glorious God. But then we come to the difficult chapters, 12 to 16, where we can't sit back and admire what God has done because God now switches the emphasis. If you understood chapters 1 to 11, this is how you should live. And as one who's only a saved sinner, I find this difficult and if chapters 1 to 11 are wow, chapters 12 to 16 ought to be ow. If you can sit comfortably listening to any preacher preach through verse chapters 11, 12 to 16, either you're not listening or the preacher's making a mess of it. And so a banner headline would be, here it is, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore, brothers... By, or in view of the mercies of God, that's chapters 1 to 11, to present your bodies. Now do something. Get involved. I'm with you in spirit. It's not enough. Roll up your sleeves. Get involved. Present your bodies, soma, as a living sacrifice. Contradiction there. Old Testament sacrifices died. But the Christian as a sacrifice doesn't have to die because Jesus died. So he died in my place. I'm now wonderfully a living sacrifice. And I should be holy and acceptable to God. And he says this is your spiritual worship. The Greek words are uh, logikan. It's, your, it's a logical conclusion from the gospel that you give up your life for him. Not to gain something, but because you have gained something. Not to merit something but in grateful thanks for what he's done for me and freely given to me. And then this verse, do, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. So here you are, Christian, the world and its example. You know, we follow examples much easier than actually working out the nitty-gritty art. We say, well, so-and-so does that. It really won't do. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Rather, you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the Holy Spirit takes the Bible. That's why I read it every day. You should read it every day. If you're not in that regular habit, get into that regular habit. Start in Mark's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. Read a bit every day. Ask God to help you. Read your Bible. Pray every day if you want to grow. The young people were speaking about prayer with Richard Andrews on the Friday night. I sat in and operated the Zoom. But it's lovely. And one of the youngsters said, yeah, that's how we thrive as Christians. And we really love that word together. Oh, isn't it a good word? Thrive. Are you thriving tonight? Am I thriving as a Christian? Or am I decaying as a Christian? I thrive as uh, my mind is renewed through the scriptures and by uh, the spirit. And taking that as a banner headline, 
we go on to our relationships towards each other, that we use our gifts, verses 3 through to 8. But we use these gifts with real grace. Let love be genuine. Not just a matter of doing something, but doing it with a good spirit, with the joy of the Lord. Loving God, loving my neighbour as myself. And then last time we were in these verses in chapter 12, our relationship to our enemies, inverted commas, those who persecute or oppose us, we're not to take vengeance, we're not to seek revenge, we're to pray for them, we're to bless them, we're to look to do them good. And we mustn't overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good, with good. And so concluded chapter 12. And now we come on to our relationship to the state, the governments, the local councils. And so it's good again to reflect on the banner headline that governs chapter 13 as well. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And here, this, this governing Statement, do not be conformed to this world. When it comes to our attitudes towards government, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when it comes to the government in Westminster, what do you think of them? Hmm? What do you think? I mentioned Boris Johnson. What comes to your mind? What about the Welsh government in Cardiff Bay? What do you think of them? What about them? What about uh, our friends over in Europe and the the Commission there and the European uh, Parliament? What are your thoughts? What about the Queen? What about the Queen? We're going to finish with God Save the Queen. I was thinking, what hymns can we sing tonight that refer to state... And individual Christians, well, I, I think the ones I've chosen are, are, are helpful. Jesus shall reign, King of kings, great providence of heaven. The kingdoms of this world lie in its hands. See how they rise and fall at his command. But then the head of our state is the queen. God save the queen. What do you think about that statement? Are you happy with that at home and here in the chapel? You know, I mean, I'm thinking 64, time to hang up my... Uh, my preaching cape here, not generally, still have my preaching cape, uh, but as the regular preacher uh, here. And then I think, she's, she's 97. <laughs> still going on, still going on. Shall I stop on till I'm 97? God save the Queen. Well, what do you think about these uh, various people you see, the world, don't be conformed to the world. It's got a ready bit of mockery and a jibe and a, a dig. Uh, dishonouring to, uh, to our leaders, generally dishonouring. Um, complaining, belittling, comes so readily and we can be dragged in. Conversation tomorrow, what do you think about, uh, ooh, and fancy him doing that and uh, this and... Don't, don't do that, says the Bible. 
I mean, reading those verses again, I won't read the whole passage again. Um, give revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect, honour to whom honour is owed. Submitting ourselves to governing authorities. Let me read you uh, a couple more passages. They ought to be searching. Think about your attitude towards local government and national government. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. This is the will of God. Isn't that interesting? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. And then if we went to um, 1 Timothy <coughs> chapter 2 and the first three verses. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. So he's writing to Timothy. Timothy is in a local church uh, situation. There he is at, uh, at Ephesus. And there's the local church. Timothy, I say this to you, but also to the local church. Here's for the local church prayer meeting. Pray for these people. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. We don't often hit on the Welsh government in our prayer meetings. Don't pray for the national government that, that often. But first of all then, says Paul, you, you should do these things because he's living in difficult times with governments. I mean, Nero's the emperor. Pray for him, he says. Pray for him. To what end? That we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good that you pray for them. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Saviour. You should pray. Do we complain about the state of the nation? What about praying for those who've got authority? And to pray those prayers that we might live quiet and dignified and godly lives and get on with being Christians and being salt and light in our day and generation. So we ought to find these things uncomfortable as they're being said to us through the word of God. Let me emphasize verses 1 to 7 of Romans chapter 13. It is not about the church and the state. It's not about that. It's very clearly about the individual Christian and the state. Look at the opening statement. Let Every person be subject to the governing authorities. There can't be a church position on uh, what we think of the Welsh government. But there is my position. Every Christian ought to be clear what his relationship is to the Queen, to the Westminster government, to the Welsh uh, government to the city council, to rules and regulations that are set in place to do us good, we ought to be very clear 
on that. It's about the responsibility of individual persons as Christians to the governing authorities. It's about the believer and the state. Every one of us should be subject to the governing authorities. And the word is very clear in the original. Every individual person, now here it is, should be subject, should subject him or herself. So I take myself in hand. Here's a conversation. What a wombat so-and-so is. Take myself in hand. I've got to be respectful of this authority. I've got to put myself under this authority. I must speak well of this authority. And uh, there is the rule. There is the rule. Uh, Verse 1 and the first part is the rule when it comes to an individual Christian and the authorities that are in existence. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Of course, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He'll be addressing different situations he's heard about uh, in Rome. One would have been their lack of love, so he's dealt with that. The one would be their slothfulness, they're not using their gifts, so he's dealt uh, with that. Under that great banner being conformed to the world, there would be, and there were, a number of Jews in the church there uh, in Rome. And uh, they've come from a hodgepodge in Jerusalem and throughout uh, Judea and throughout Israel, uh, looking to restore the, the, the kingdom there. There were zealots who would look to overthrow Rome and oppose Rome. Of course, one of Jesus' disciples, Simon, uh, was one of the terrorists. Simon, the, uh, the zealot, he would have looked to overthrow Rome. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And when they come to me with questions about governments, who, should we pay taxes? Yes, you should. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but give to God that which is God's. No, the kingdom of God is not opposed to the kingdoms of this world. It's over and above those things. And the Christian ought to be a good and a model citizen. And what was happening in the world could impinge on the church. And maybe it was happening. And so Paul is inspired by the Spirit to address that situation. We are citizens of heaven, but we also must be good earthly citizens to earthly rulers. That's the rule, verse, first part of verse 1, that every person, every Christian, be subject to the governing authorities. And then quickly we have a reason. For, because there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And in these verses 1 to 7, seven times the Spirit inspires Paul to write this fact that every governing authority is from God. It's from God, 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 it's from God. Therefore, if you oppose this ruler, you oppose God himself. For this ruler is God's minister. Uh, I think we've got somebody who works for a minister on the back row uh, this evening. So you can you know, tell, tell your minister we're all for him. And uh, he's telling tomorrow he's God's servant. And uh, we, we ought to obey all that he's uh, saying. Well, I will qualify that as we go through. It wouldn't be absolutely everything 
that he or she might say. But the reason is, all these authorities are instituted by God. To put negatively, for there is no authority except from God. Then it's put positively, and those that exist have been instituted by God. No authority apart from a God-given authority. None at all. All come from God. So as Paul was speaking, it included Nero. As well as the excessive evil that we know about from history, he did much that was good. And he kept the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, that enabled the gospel to travel great distances. And Paul ministered under the banner of the Pax Romana and the Roman roads and the lingua franca of the day, a common language he could speak across uh, the empire and a common currency uh, that he could uh, use across the empire. Oh, it was greatly used of God to spread the gospel even under Nero. And before Nero, a man like Nebuchadnezzar, we're learning about him the last few uh, Wednesdays in the joint uh, church prayer meeting. We're going through the book of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar did much good as well as the great evil that he did. And since then, every authority, and including now, all authorities are set in place by God. So Boris Johnson is there by divine appointment. Do I get that? Divine appointment. Mark Drakeford, oh, why did he win? Divine appointment. The Queen, by divine appointment. And let's think about systems of government. Don't know who you vote for here, whether you are right wing, left wing or, or centre. We're all pretty centre in Britain, there's no extreme. Well, there are some loony fringes in Britain, but by and large, does anything really change? Whatever government we get, I haven't noticed. Not really. In 64 years, not really noticed. I've got my preferences. Some of you might know what they are. I've been less vocal. Maybe I'll become more vocal when I've stepped down. I don't know. But uh, left, right or centre... Whatever it might be, it's instituted by God. Which is better, democracy or dictatorship? Hmm? You might have a strong view on that. You'd be wrong. The Bible doesn't uphold democracy. And Paul was writing there weren't democracies. And even Rome wasn't a democracy. You had to be in the aristocracy to be part of their democracy. Do you think slaves got a vote? Do you think the common people got a vote? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. A dictatorship or democracy? What about absolute monarchy? Do you think it's right what happened to Charles I? Was it right that uh, the parliamentarians rose up and eventually took his head off? Was that a good thing uh, to do? I suppose they had to think about passages like that, like this, in that day and generation, and so do we. Uh, today, which is better, democracy or dictatorship or absolute monarchy or constitutional monarchy, which, which we have? Would you prefer capitalist or communist? Is Putin better than Biden? Is Biden better than Putin? You might have an opinion. God's very clear. There's no distinction. He set both in place. Does that surprise you? Maybe it's a shock to you to find that out. What if... Uh, Men are benevolent or malevolent, they're in 
extolled by God. Philanthropic, despotic. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Is that a revelation to you and to me tonight? And then he draws a therefore, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Fancy that, resisting God. And those who resist will incur judgment. And this is primarily a civil judgment. You resist a civil authority, then there are sanctions. And of course, they're there to keep peace in society. He's going to go on to say that rulers are there to do us good. Now, it's not that all rulers are perfect. No, by no means. But what would you rather have apart from a city? There are those, and you'll find them in parts of the world. You'll find them in Britain. And uh, they'll make demonstrations on the street in Britain as well. Um, They're all for anarchy. No, we don't want any government. You certainly find them in America, less less government, no. Uh, and that's why they all have guns, and they love having guns. Let's, we protect our, we don't want the government touching us. But thank God for government, of any shape or hue, because they're there to do us good. The, the alternative is anarchy and survival of the strongest. If I had to defend my property and my family down at Pildee, yeah, what a, what a lie, but, but I, I can ring the police. Isn't it? Something happens, I can ring the police. There are laws set in place. And here it is, verses 3 and 4. For rulers are no terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your goods. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is, again, here it is, the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, I can say in 64 years, and some of you are are older than me, I'm sure you can say in your years or whatever age you are, that verses 3 and 4 are true by and large for Britain. I am not bothered about surveillance. You get know, people who say, I don't want cameras on me. Put as many on me as you like. It keeps me safe. And catches the baddies. Who wouldn't want a camera seeing things? I want to know whose fault that accident was and uh, who kicked me in the head and who, who did what to who. I've got no fears about that. Bring on surveillance. Let's see exactly uh, who's been doing wrong. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct. And by and large... In Britain, we can say that that would be the case. Of course, there are miscarriages of justice. We can all find uh, an exception to the rule. But by and large, Britain, Europe, the United States, and even in countries that are dictatorships, the governments are seeking to do good for their people and to punish those who do wrong. Would you have no fear of the one in authority? Then do what is good. He's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God, by common grace, has set in place governments, and they're there to bring order to society.
So it's interesting to pause at this point and reflect on what we looked at at the end of chapter 12, because chapter 12 was saying, if somebody persecutes you or does wrong against you, don't take personal vengeance. Don't take revenge. Don't take matters into your own hand. Actually seek their good and seek to bless them. Well, then you might ask, do, do they get away with it? What about if somebody robs my home? Do I? Do? Yes, well, you, you pray for them. Don't take personal vengeance. And then we come to chapter 13. They don't get away with it because there is the state. You can pray God's blessing and ring the police. You know, you can have great sympathy for the lad who comes looking for money for drugs and breaks into your house. And you, I was talking to one of our members who's a magistrate this afternoon at the, uh, the farm picnic. And uh, he was saying, you know, we, we like to get lots of background on cases and understand before we sentence why they did, because maybe they need some help and the drug rehabilitation. But if it's just a willy-nilly blanket sentencing, that's difficult. We like to tailor things. God's setting in place. Yeah, we can pray for those who've done wrong against us, but we still ring the police. And it's not that they get away with things. We don't take personal vengeance. We leave that to the authorities God has set in place. And that's the state and the law courts, the police and the, the magistrates. Now we've read verses 3 and 4. And uh, Paul is very, very clear that the rulers are there to do us good. Is, is that all governments? Remember when Paul is writing... He's writing maybe AD 55, 56. Nero becomes emperor in AD 54. He does bizarre things towards the end and he finishes his reign in AD 68. But Nero is the emperor. And all the emperors, although they have uh, great excesses, generally speaking, did good in bringing the Roman peace. And Paul views them as a blessing from God. He calls them God's rulers and God's ministers. Are they perfect? No. But Paul is happy, guided by the Spirit to say, you should be in subjection to such. You look in the Bible. Was the Pharaoh in Joseph's time uh, a supremely good man? Well, no. But Joseph is happy to serve in his government and to be his number two. Uh, was Nebuchadnezzar and were, were King Darius uh, great kings? No. But Daniel's happy to serve there. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego took their positions in local government under Nebuchadnezzar uh, as well. And so we're not saying these men are perfect or these women are perfect who have the rule over us, but we are to be subject to them. Is our obedience to be blind obedience to all that they say? Well, certainly not. And there are qualifications. Uh, there are even hints in the passage here. It's not anything that the governor says that we would follow. Look at verse 3 again, for example. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So this uh, delineates good and bad uh, verse 4, for he is God's servant for your good. So he ought to be looking to do good things. 
And verse 7 is something of a qualifier that echoes some words by the Lord Jesus Christ. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes. Revenue to whom revenue. Respect to whom respect. Honour to whom honour. Jesus, those words in Matthew 22 and verse 21. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. There's a great principle that's set out in Acts chapters 4 and 5. And then I want to give a couple of illustrations of how that is played out. But um, just for example, do we obey everything a governor might say? Well, let's take one example because time's moving on. Romans, sorry, Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they, that's the Sanhedrin, had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you are. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We follow earthly rulers so long as they do not contradict the law and the rule of God. And that is played out now, for example, in Daniel chapter 6, uh, where the emperor thinks and he's persuaded it would be a good idea for people to pray only to him for the next 30 days. Daniel hears the news, and Daniel's prime minister. And uh, Daniel can't pray to the king. And three times a day, as his custom was, he opens the window to Jerusalem, and he prays to Jehovah. Of course, he's arrested, and he's thrown into the lion's den, but God shuts the lion's mouth so it could not harm uh, him. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar thinks it's a wonderful idea to build a, a statue to himself and when the music plays everyone bows down to the statue. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego say no way, no way. The music starts and they stay standing on the plain of Jura. They're given another chance by Nebuchadnezzar. Bow down when the music plays and I'll spare you but if you don't I'll throw you in the fiery furnace and then who can save you? Oh, say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they respectfully, but without fear, address the king. Our God is able. We're not saying he will. But I tell you this, we'll not bow down to your statue. And so they're thrown in the fiery furnace, and Jesus meets them there and uh, keeps them in the fire, and they're brought back out uh, again. There's a wonderful passage I I'd overlooked, but uh, reading one commentator, it was pointed out, and it's a, a beautiful passage in Exodus chapter 1. Uh, let me read from verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, of whom was named, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. If it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. 
for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. He didn't do as Pharaoh said, and God was pleased with that. So it's not that we willy-nilly follow all the dictates of authorities and governments, as long as they don't contradict the law of God, and they're keeping the peace and the good of the land, then we're wholeheartedly before them, whatever hue or shade they might be, we're obeying them, we're subject to them. And therefore, we come to a conclusion this evening. We have his uh, therefore, and one of two things of application to, to finish with. Therefore, verse 5. One, again, the individual Christian, must be in subjection to obey. Obey the government. They're here to do us good. One must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience, you know, that voice of God. You know it's right that we don't mock them, but we put ourselves in subjection to them. So obey, obey. It's important to note that in our democracy, of course, we are a democracy, and there is a lawful right to lawful protest. So if you disagree with something the assembly are doing, I think they welcome it themselves. They want your views on things. They don't mind if you write in on certain issues. Uh, Boris Johnson. Um, clearly he wants to be re-elected. He, he'd like to remain popular with the people. And we have a, a lawful right to protest. So we can write and we can lobby and we can carry our banners and we can go on our marches. I've never been on a march in my life, but we have the legal right to do that in Britain. But what we must not become involved in is civil disobedience, where it becomes unlawful protest. So we've had a case in point, haven't we, with the, the COVID regulations and there are some who say, oh, the government's against the gospel. Well, they, they might well be. And individual members of the Welsh government and the national government might well be humanistic and atheistic. And I have no doubt that they, they are and will have an agenda. But to say the government uh, is against the gospel, that's far from being the case. There is a current health crisis where the government have advised us time to time to shut our buildings, not only ours, but all public buildings and the shops because of the health crisis. And when we come back together, they say, well, uh, we're telling you, you cannot sing. And then they said things like, you should not uh, sing. Uh, and so we are happy because of the current crisis to follow their guidelines. But even in that case, we have the right to lawful protest. Or we can write to our MP and our assembly members and make our views clear. But if it comes to civil disobedience, no, we should not get involved in civil disobedience. So when the government say it's against the law to assemble uh, in a building, 
then we comply. And for many months, it was just me and Nick in the building, which they allowed us to do. They could have even banned that, but they didn't. They're not against the gospel, per se. But they're certainly fighting uh, an insidious virus that's causing havoc uh, throughout the world. So uh, look to obey the local authorities. Second thing we learn here is to pay your taxes. Verse 6, well, because of this, because they're set in place by God, you should also pay your taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, keeping the peace. Let me finish with this. It's most interesting, this little phrase that's used here at the end of verse 6 and then expanded on in verse 7. Halfway through verse 6, we've got this statement. For the authorities... Take Boris Johnson, take Mark Drayford, take his cabinet in the Westminster and the Assembly. The authorities are, here's the word now. Now, I'm a minister, all right? You accept that. Boris Johnson and Mark Drakeford are ministers of God. It could be translated servants. And the Greek word is interesting here. The Spirit could have inspired Paul to write that the authorities are deacons, diakonos, servants. Still ministers, ministering servants. But the Spirit inspires Paul to write liturgos, not diakonos, liturgos, which has got very strong religious connotations. As in this, the angels are liturgos, ministering spirits. The priests were liturgos, ministering at the temple. Paul is a liturgos, a minister of Christ. And the governing authorities are liturgos, not diakonos, liturgos. See how glorious that is. That has strong implications here. Strong implications here. Powerful implications that Boris Johnson and Mark Drakeford and the Queen are ministers of God, Lutergos. They serve the living God. Now, the Queen takes that seriously. She really takes that seriously. Her promise before God to serve him all her days. And it's kept her going to the age of 97. They serve God. And interestingly... The authorities, whoever they are throughout the whole world, all their authority, not to the people. Some constitutes say, well, we get our authority from the people. Not at all. Their authority, whoever they might be, left, right or centre, communist, capitalist, dictator, democracy, they all, all their authority principally to God. They are his ministers and therefore respect and honour and glad and cheerful obedience, and finally in squeezing it in, pray for them, pray for them, pray, pray, pray. Do we want a good government? Pray. Beholds us to pray individually and as a gathered church. So let's, let's pray now. Father, thank you. This all too short time on such a massive passage. We could have spent many weeks here. Thank you for the teaching. Pray you'd help us to take it for heart to pay our taxes, to give revenue, to give honour, respect to those who under your great hand deserve it and to pray for them. Oh, who would be a prime minister or an assembly leader 
in such a day and generation. We do pray you will give wisdom and strength to our leaders that we might continue to be able to live godly, peacefully and good lives in our day and generation.